There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 255. And today on the show, we're joined by Alex Gilstrom and Cody Butler of Dream Chasers TV to talk late season hunting strategies, advice for hunting a single deer, and mobile hunting tactics. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And today we're going to be joined here shortly by my buddy Alex Gilstrom and Cody Butler from Dream Chasers TV. And we're going to be chatting with these guys about late season tactics. We're going to be talking about some public land hunting ideas, some run and gun techniques, uh, and a whole bunch of things in regards to hunting strategies. We're also going to be diving into a few stories of some of Alex and Cody's recent successes, uh, including something you might have seen in the most recent issue, or maybe it's two issues ago, of North American Whitetail. Uh, Cody killed an absolutely stunning whitetail last year and that story was featured in the magazine which is pretty cool and it was written by alex so double cool there so that's a story i definitely want to dive into it's a buck they call longhorn um but before all of that we do have my nine finger buddy dan johnson with us for our pregame show and uh, i'm hoping the two of us can catch up a little bit we haven't chatted in i think two weeks dan um so do you do you have good news to share with me? I'm, I'm assuming, I'm hoping, I've been wishing and dreaming that one of these days you're going to text me and say, Hey, Mark, I finally did it. I bought a non-resident Michigan hunting license. I'll be there next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that's what's happening. Nope, that didn't happen. Ah. Uh, I, think our, I think what was our original bet, if I can ever quit my job and make the Sportsman's Nation like my full-time job, yes. then – then the promise, the pinky swear, is that I will come up and I will buy a Michigan tag and I'll hunt with you. Yes, that's that is the the long term plan. I'm trying to make it happen right now. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's uh, that ain't gonna happen. Uh, <laughs> but but I tell you, um, I saw a Facebook. I posted a picture of my my son today, Mac, on Facebook, <laughs> and you responded with a 
a, a post of your own about how your son cried all night and uh, he didn't sleep unless he was in bed with you and your wife. Yes. And and that makes me happy. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because Misery loves company. Oh, yeah. And, and when when you told me a while back, oh, yeah, he has no problem sleeping through the night. There's a little part of me that <laughs> like, I don't know, whenever someone I hear another parent say that I want to punch him. Yeah, <laughs> because it's not how stuff goes down in my house. So I'm relieved to find out that your kid is ruining your life too. Yeah, he he's he's coming. He's what what do they say? Oh gosh, um, oh, I'm gonna blank on this. It's something down to the mean, like resort re- resorting back to the mean or something like that. I'm I'm blanking on the right word, but yes, he's gone back to what normal babies do, which is cry a lot, wake up in the middle of the night. Um, I don't know if it's related to teething. His he's had two teeth pop out all the way, and he's got a third that's kind of halfway, and I. F- feel like there might be another one about to about to cut because he's just got a general perturbed nature all the time and then he's like going down and sleeping for five minutes and then all of a sudden waking up screaming bloody murder and he did that from like 7 30 last night all the way to like midnight i mean it was horrible um so that's kind of our recent fun with with him (laughs) i tell you what man i was you know on on facebook you flip through the the feed and then you have a memory that pops up Mm -hmm. and there was a memory of like i don't know five or six years ago it would it would have been six or seven years ago of me and my wife i think it was like before we were married we were we were we just looked so happy and well rested and youthful and then fast forward to like a most recent picture we look like weathered and beaten down and emotionally drained (laughs) (laughs) we're aging fast absolutely absolutely that's uh i guess that's it's better than the alternative though i suppose Uh, um you know it is funny though i'm i was up at our deer camp last weekend and uh, or last week and I, was, I talked about this on the on the episode we did last week but being in a place like that it does just like re- now every day I see my son I get reinvigorated and excited so I'm not saying that's not the case but when you go up there and you see the pictures of like me when I was a little dude and you hear my dad tell the stories about when I was a little guy and going up there to camp and hunting and everything like every time I think about that with Everett it just gets me I don't know, just on a whole yeah. nother level of excitement. I'm, I'm, I feel like we're getting really close to yeah. the point where he's, um, you know, once he can walk, then I feel like that opens up a whole new set of experiences that we can share, um, oh. that I'm just, I'm just super excited about. So, yeah, absolutely. Ah, it's good stuff. It's funny. Speaking of kids though, I think you and me both need to train our kids a little bit better because one of our buddies has got us topped right now. Um, you know, Ross, Ross Haas, yep. Yep. he sent us a text, uh, me and some of my friends earlier today, and he quoted his wife asking his son a question. His wife's name's Kendall. His son's name's West. So Kendall said, quote, Hey West, should we go get a Christmas tree and throw it in the back of the truck? End quote. And their son, who's like two, he responds, no, we throw deers back in there and eat them for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> How good is that? Yeah, that is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the perfect response. Uh, yeah. Here's what my quote would be: "Hey Mac, did you flush?" Mac would say, "No," and that's it. Or, <laughs> did you wash your hands, buddy? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, straight to the point. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Oh gosh. So, so check this out. Yeah. 
while back, my wife says to me, I want to go deer hunting. And <laughs> I laughed cause I thought she was joking. And so last year, or it was after last season was over. She's like, I wanted to go hunting. You didn't take me. Why? I'm just like, are you, were you serious? She's like, yeah, I'm serious. I want to go shoot a deer so we can put meat in the freezer. And <laughs> is that like I'm a like, subtle underhanded jab at you or something? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right. So at the beginning of this season, she's like, Hey, are you going to take me shotgun hunting? And I said, are you serious? She says, yes. I say, then yes, I definitely will take you uh, season, uh, shotgun hunting. And that's this upcoming season. So, or this upcoming weekend. So we are, we got, I got a gun lined up. I got ammunition. I got the property. And the only thing that has to happen is that the weather has to cooperate because it might be raining a little bit on uh, Saturday, but Saturday and Sunday I have dedicated to taking her out to try to kill a deer. Now here's her stipulations. Yeah. This is what I'm curious about. Right. She only wants to shoot a big buck. Oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's up with her saying she wants to put meat in the freezer then? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, Mark, we can kill bucks and, you know, we can take the meat off them, you know, this year for me to work out. But, um, so I try to explain to her, listen, sweetie, you know how long it took, you know, I may have walked in for like two or three days into my rut vacation set up and, you know, hunted this deer. However, it took months of planning and preparation to find out where the deer were moving, you know, trail camera pictures, you know, going back to the farm, blah, 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 seeing if this, you know, if deer, if there were even any quote unquote big bucks on the farm. And, uh, so she's like, yeah, I just want one, like what you hanging, like maybe what you have hanging on the wall. (laughs) I'm just like, sweetie, you need to lower your expectations like you did with me because <laughs> yeah so we know she can do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh you son of a gun <laughs> so, so yes yeah so yeah uh so i think i got her to lower her expectations a little bit maybe saturday we'll we'll try for a buck and you know i'm i'm thinking something along the lines of you know, just really anything. I, I'm going to try to talk her into shooting the first deer that walks by her. Um, that may or may not happen. But then she said, if I don't shoot a buck on Saturday, then I'll shoot a doe on Sunday. And cool. I said, sweetie, you know, there's a chance that if you pass a deer on Saturday, that you may not get a second chance at this. She's And then she's, she starts pulling this whole this whole type of uh, shit that I would say, right? <laughs> like, like you know, it's not all about the kill. I, I just want to go out and enjoy the experience. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, what is going on? Because my mind is exploding uh-huh. at this point. And, and you're going to be sitting out there in the blind or the tree or whatever you guys are hunting from, and she's going to be telling you, now, you know, on the Wired Hunt podcast, I heard that we need to be careful about our exit route out of here tonight. <laughs> uh, do you have that planned out right, Dan? <laughs> Or she starts correcting me when we step into the timber. She's like, hey, your scent's going the wrong way, buddy. Yeah, what if you she's to... just like a deer hunting ninja and you get out there and she's like telling you all the things to do and then you shoot a booner the first night she's out there? Yeah, right? That – I don't know. Like I feel like if one of – let's say uh, Gnarly Charlie shows up just hypothetically. Mm-hmm. I can see myself going, Sarah, look. <laughs> 
your pride just couldn't handle that hit. <laughs> right, absolutely. You know, just imagine a wall full of deer and then the biggest buck on the wall because I would have to get it mounted, yeah, right? Yeah. The biggest buck on the wall is Oh man, where'd you shoot that one? Well, I didn't shoot that one. My wife did. Man, I I love you, Dan, but I'm hoping so badly that she does that. <laughs> Oh, man, that's funny. Well, that would be so, awesome. So not too far from where we're going to be hunting, right? Probably, I'm going to guess 300, 400 yards. I got a trail camera picture of a buck that it was high in the air. I mean, it was like, it was far away, but it looked, I mean, it was a big buck for sure, but it looked like it could potentially be Gnarly Charlie, but it was from two weeks ago. Wow. So it could, it may, you know, but... The good news is, is that recently in that part of the state, there has been 11 or higher inches of snow, 11 or more inches of snow. Wow. There's a standing cornfield that is still in place. So, you know, before the season even starts, we, all we want is, Hey man, we got to get this, these corn out. We got to get this corn out. Let's get the crops out. So they head back into the timber. So, you know, you know, it uh, concentrates them a little bit more. And now this time of year we're going, God, I hope that we can find some standing corn or some standing crops or whatever. So the last time I checked, there was still some corn standing in this field and I don't think it dried out enough for them to combine it before, the uh the big snow hit so um i'm taking friday off work i'm gonna head down there i'm gonna scout out a couple areas before the season opens on saturday and uh if that standing corn's there we have a really good shot of at least you know at least a doe finding finding a trail that the does are working on but uh, even even something better like a buck yeah man that kind of scenario with all that snow and standing food i mean she could shoot a nice buck in that kind of situation that's that's exciting Absolutely, man. Absolutely, so, I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited just to go out and see how she reacts. Now, the other thing is, she's used to turkey season, right? Where on a bad day in April, the high temperature is going to be like mid mid fifties. You know, yeah. maybe maybe it's going to be, you know, mid to low thirties in April. But you know, there's a chance in the mornings when we go out that it's going to be below freezing or all day. I looked at the weather and it's not supposed to be too terribly cold, but I'm, t- I'm to a point, you know, where this isn't turkey hunting. So we'll see how tough she gets and, uh, how serious she is about it and, uh, play it, play it by ear. Wow, man. Well, I'm very interested to hear how this goes. So definitely, we'll definitely need to check back in next week or next time we can get back here and do this. Um, this is going to be a good story. <laughs> So have you have you then fast forwarded to late season? Are you out till late season, or what's your deal? So since we last chatted two weeks ago, I hunted some more in Michigan on those main spots. Uh, no luck. I was hoping that Frank was going to be back because um, I think last time we talked about Frank, I told you about the whole back and forth, back and forth with him. I talked about the poop blind. I talked about the close calls, and then I went to that the meat eater hunt, right? Yep. Um, when I got back from that, I checked trail cameras and I got a picture of Frank on the property I can hunt the morning 
that I got there. Like the morning I got back, he was there half hour before daylight. So I was like really excited, thinking that there's still a chance. Um, but I, I had no pictures of him from like the 6th of November until I got back the 13th. So like that whole time I was gone, zero pictures. And then the day I got back, here he is. So I'm thinking, oh man, like this is meant to be. This is perfect. He's back maybe on a doe in the area. Um, but the basic gist of what happened over the next five days is that I hunted and didn't see him. Uh, didn't, well, I haven't checked trail camera since then, but, um, didn't see him anywhere. Did not see much, um, as far as semi-mature, mature bucks. Um, I had one encounter with uh Tran, which is a three-year-old that I, that I'm not going to hunt, but I'd like to see. Um, so I saw him crap ton of does, um, second day of gun season. Cause I hunted a few days in gun season, second day of gun season. I got up to my stand and there was a bunch of trespasser boot tracks all over the property. Uh. Um, so that was really upsetting in the moment. Um, that was downer. And then went up to our Northern Michigan deer camp for a few days, had a good time up there, but no luck. Um, and then I kind of pulled the plug on hunting for a bit. And that was about a week ago. So I've been out not hunting at all for the last week. Um, and that was that was necessary, um, you know. Two weeks ago, when we last chatted, you asked me if the brownie points had ran dry yet, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, oh no, man! The brownie points are still good. Things are a okay." <laughs> you you really jinx, you really jinxed me on that. <laughs> so, so we had our kind of annual reset. It always seems like right about this time of year. It's like right as gun season hits. There's a, it's always kind of like a tipping point. Yeah. Um, so that happened. And taking some time out of the tree, and that's that's been a good thing all all across the board. I I just needed it personally, probably too. Um, I definitely had worn down over that month, so yeah, took a little time off, got caught up on some work, and now I am going to be getting back out there, maybe a hunt this weekend, and then next week going back up north for a couple days, and then after that we'll be focusing, you know, on the southern Michigan properties. Um, I just don't know if if Frank doesn't show back up. And I don't think it's it's unlikely he will, at least not consistently. Right? He's never lived on the property I hunt. He's just like showed up for a day, a year here and there, and then this year a little bit more. Um, if he's not around, there's no buck on the property that I've gotten pictures of or seen yet all year that I would shoot. So it's basically probably I'm just going to shift to doe patrol and just start kind of aggressively targeting does because this is a property that there's too many does. Every year I say I'm going to take a bunch of them off, um, and I get try to get some friends out to take some off. And I always get some, um, usually between two and four a year, um, but but really probably could use more than that. So this year maybe finally is the year I can really um, do a better job managing. So that's the next couple of weeks probably hold for me on that standpoint. And um, and then maybe get to that West Michigan property another time or two. There are bucks to hunt there. Um, just going to be kind of a scheduling thing. Got some funky right. travel coming up. So. You got good uh, late season food sources. Yeah, yeah, I do on on both those spots. the The main property I hunt, the down south property. You know, I, I plant some food plots, which are good. Um, and really, they're mostly focused for late season. It's always been great for late season, but the, the only the downside this year to that is that usually I've got like the best late season food source in the area because I've got a couple acres of brassicas and stuff, really good late season food. Well, this year a farmer kind of nearby planted a cover crop on his place that is all like turnips and brassicas and stuff like that radishes um and the deer piling into that so i'm kind of second fiddle i'm like the little appetizer that's like dinner 
Um, so I don't know how that's going to impact things. I think deer will still hit my plots. Um, it's just not going to be like in past years, I don't think. So we'll see how that impacts things. And that's kind of, that's kind of what the rest of the season looks like for me. I don't have super high hopes from a buck standpoint, but, um, definitely would love to shoot some more does and fill the freezer and, um, and that'll be, that'll be a fun way in the season. So that's at least as of right now, what it looks like. Cool, man. That's Any, awesome. Anything else on your front? Um, the only thing that I can think of is, we're, you know, we're, we are recording this on a on a Tuesday, uh, which is <laughs> giving, giving Tuesday. Yes, Giving Tuesday, and I just want to, you know, really push people. You know, we all say we have busy lives, right? And we don't have a lot of time to dedicate to, uh, you know, something that's outside of our family and work like a conservation organization. But one thing that's very easy to do. And if you have money that you can spare and part with, uh, money works too, right? So don't be afraid to donate some money to, um, uh, an organization like I think today on Instagram you mentioned uh, QDMA or Backcountry Hunters and Anglers uh, are the two that pop out. Uh, you know something that you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be that. I mean, Ducks Unlimited or Whitetails Unlimited or you know anything that's a, you know maybe a state a local state park that you enjoy hiking on. You know something like that. Uh, every penny and dollar helps. So if you can, do it. Yeah, man, that was exactly what I wanted to close with. So thank you for, for mentioning that. And, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of organizations out there doing good work that need help. They need time and they need resources. They need funding. And so today's a great day to do it. Um, my wife and I kind of did a little brainstorm this morning and nominated, we each kind of nominated a couple different organizations that we want to donate to, um, and did that. And that's kind of a cool way to, um, you know, to just give back. And of course you can do that any time of year, but it's nice to uh, get a reminder like we have today. Um, and yeah. gosh, I mean, we're, we're spending a bunch of money on Christmas gifts and things like that, but I don't think you can spend any better money than money that goes back to fish and wildlife and wild places. So, right. uh, and we take away from that resource throughout the season, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, an animal or a, a fish or whatever, we take from that resource. And very rarely do we ever give back outside of license and tags. So it's just a great, it's something extra that we can all do. And, you know, it, it, it does a lot. And if we, we kind of spread the word and we all, we all do a little, it becomes something big. Yeah. So let's, let's do something right here. Um, I'm going to do a little calculation here and I'm going to ask every single person listening. Now I know not everyone's going to do it, but I'm going to be optimistic and say that everyone's going to do it. If we take, Oh, maybe what the last podcast, um, downloads had, and let's say everybody donates $10. If I can get every one of you guys to donate $10 today, just 10 bucks the people that just downloaded the podcast last week, we would be pushing up towards half a million dollars to conservation. Wow. So we can raise a lot of money. Like we can all, each one of us doing a tiny little thing can make a big difference if we all collectively do it together. So, I mean, that's a cool opportunity. 
Dan, you did an awesome thing this last week where you just said, hey, I got a goal to raise $1,500 or something like that for QDMA. And yeah. just through Instagram, like telling people, hey, just donate to this thing. Um, you know, just like that, you were able to raise over $2,000 for the Quality Deer Management Association. So I think um, it, it, you and I are fortunate. We have, we've been given the privilege of having a platform where we can talk to people and a lot of people listen. Um, and I think... Um, I think it's cool to see someone like you using that platform for something good. And I hope maybe today we can use this to just, you know, give a few people a reminder to give back to like you and you and I are trying to do. And I know a lot of other people are trying to do, and it could make, it can make a substantial difference if we do that. So yeah. I'm rambling now. Um, well, and I just want to say, I want to end with this because yes, we're talking to, you know, a lot of average Joe's out there, but if there's anybody in the industry whether you own a hunting company or you work for a hunting company or you are uh, another, let's say, like influencer or quote unquote celebrity and you're not currently helping promote conservation, you need to be. That's it. There you go. <laughs> Straight from the mouth of Dan Ninefinger Johnson. So with that, we will take a break to thank our partners and then we will get Alex and Cody on the line to talk whitetails, to talk late season, to talk public land. Um, and man, if the stars align, maybe one of them will have a story of a very, very recent kill. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that will be the case, Dan. Before we get to those stories, though, I want to take a quick second to thank our friends at Whitetail Properties. And I wanted to mention a recent video of theirs over on the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel. This one is of particular importance to me this time of year because December typically, for me, as I was talking about with Dan just a second ago, that's when I usually like to start trying to put some does in the freezer. And when I'm doing that is usually the time of year when I've got time to go ahead and butcher my own deer. Sometimes I'm out there hunting in October or November and I'm traveling all over the place. I have a hard time having the the extra availability as far as time to, to get that process myself. But in December, I like to do it and enjoy the whole process. I would like to do that even more. So this video that Whitetail Properties just put out is all about this deal, processing your own animals. In particular, talking about how to break down a deer's hind quarter. Dr. Craig Harper is actually the one in this video. If you know who I'm talking about, you know he's just a great guy to listen to. And he actually shows how to process a deer's hind quarter while that deer is still hanging up. So I typically quarter my deer out, break them down, and then, you know, uh, process it on the table. He talks their way to do that while they're actually still hanging, which is a pretty interesting way to do it. So head on over to the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel. Check out this video. It's titled, How to Process a Deer's Hind Quarters. And if you want to learn more about the other things they have going on, visit whitetailproperties.com. All right, here with me on the line, I got rid of Dan, and I pulled in two way more interesting people. I've got uh, Cody <laughs> Butler and Alex Gilstrom. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks going, for having us. Yeah, Alex, I uh, we've had a lot of good times over the years at different conventions and things along those lines. So I, I, I've known for a while now that I wanted to pull you in here to the podcast Um to chat so so i'm glad this is finally happening and i'm glad that you brought your buddy cody along because the two of you it seems like have been have been having a good season a good couple seasons and i was hoping we could um dive into all of that but i, I suppose before that alex would you be willing to uh give us a real quick 
intro to, to who you are, what you do in the hunting world. Um, cause I know that you and Cody do some things together. And then of course you're doing some other interesting things with our wonderful partners at whitetail properties. You bet. Yeah, it's, uh, it has been, you know, we joked about it for, for a number of years now, how we've talked and collaborated, just kind of brainstorming a few different things and just, um, obviously very, very, uh, passionate and obsessed whitetail hunters. And as, as we all tend to be in this, in this circle, but uh, it was finally fun to, to get and connect. But, um, before we get too, too involved and too d- d- dive in here, I do have to take a, a quick sidebar with you. So, Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, as much as yourself, yeah, it, it, it just, it's interesting. So as much as yourself, um, is, is connected with QDMA, huge supporter of that. We are as well at Whitetail. We've had a very, very long standing relationship here at Whitetail Properties and, and myself personally has just been really, um, involved with it and, and supporting it. And I get this newsletter, I think it was the day before <laughs> yesterday or so. And I was, and I was sitting there reading something. I know where you're going, going with this. <laughs> and I was scrolling down. When did Furter become a model? Oh, man. Tell you what, Furter is blowing up. <laughs> he is absolutely blowing up. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit embarrassing because I kind of introduced him to the hunting world, I feel like, and now he's outshining me by far. And uh, it's been a knock. It's like he's standing on, yeah, he's standing on your shoulders to just go above and beyond. <laughs> it's been a knock to my pride, but uh, I'm glad for it. Yeah, man, he's uh, he's the great big QDMA model now on the newsletter and on Instagram. Um, and you see how he, he rocked the face paint too. Like he really goes pretty hardcore with it. Oh, it was the authenticity and the intensity was off the charts. I mean, he was just, he was on another level. <laughs> yeah, man, Furter, uh, he's the legend. <laughs> Oh, that's all awesome. right. Well, I, I digress. But, uh, <laughs> with, with, yeah, with that, um, I had to, I had to give Furter a little jab there. He's, a, I know he's obviously a, he's been a long time great friend of yours, and he's a, become a, a good friend of mine. And it's just, uh, it was just, uh, I couldn't believe it. I had, to, I had to jab him a little bit when I saw that. Oh yeah, there's no better way to start the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so well, so tell us a little uh, about you your, though. Yeah, back to your original question. Um, yeah, I got my start uh, very, uh, just kind of worked my way up and had no real connection to the outdoor industry or anything like that. And uh, basically just through persistence and, and basically pestering, called as many companies as I could for as long as I could until someone finally <laughs> gave me the time of day and, uh, and let me let me kind of hear my spiel and where my passion was and what I wanted to do. And, um and it actually, uh, it all started with a phone call back when I was in, you know, kind of in high school and, and finally got connected with the company and kind of asked what, you know, what things that they look for in professionals in the outdoor industry and how to get in and all this and that. And basically, long story short, the two big resounding um, answers I got was, you know, a good business acumen, good business skills, as well as writing skills. So that's what I honed in on. Um, I've always kind of had like a, I guess, a, an in. An, innate or natural uh, attraction to writing and, and just, I guess, storytelling. So uh, that kind of was a natural evolution for me. And then um, obviously picked up a little bit of photography, videography along the way too. But uh, those are the things that I concentrated on. Uh, it kind of led me to a career at Scentlock for a number of years, six years. And then um, throughout those years, kind of continued to develop writing and and exploring storytelling in different ways on different platforms, whether it be social media or magazines or articles or whatever. Um, and that's can continued to kind of evolve and, uh, and kind of grow as that's kind of come on. And then three years ago now, uh, Whitetail Properties approached me with an opportunity and 
it was kind of a, a way for me, just like yourself, Mark, born and raised in Southwest Michigan. Uh, absolutely love my roots there. My entire family's there. And, and our outdoor heritage, you know, it's something you've talked about on the podcast a lot and it's, and it's couldn't be more true. Uh, just the, the, the richness in the, in how deep our outdoor heritage and, and passions for, for, uh, wildlife and the outdoors go there. And it's just kind of something that everybody does. And that's what makes it so special. Um, it can also make it very frustrating. <laughs> I knew there was a <laughs> times, especially, <laughs> Yeah. Especially during the deer season. Um, so anyway, that when Whitesell Properties kind of approached me and started doing my, you know, my list of pros and cons and where things were and where I wanted my career to go and kind of uh, evolving, uh, they asked me to come take over all creative as far as uh, the video department and, and our marketing department here. And uh, it was a chance to relocate to Pike County, Illinois. So that wasn't a bad thing. <laughs> no, so no. over the over the course of the last, uh, you know, seven or eight years, that's kind of, kind of the, the quick story of, of how I how I got here and, um, really kind of, it's been, it's been nice to, to kind of relocate and recenter. And, and then as you kind of mentioned, uh, earlier, we're going to talk about with some, some writing, it's, uh, it's been cool to kind of see that evolve and, and grow and something I've really kind of got a, a passion for. I mean, you want to call it a, you know, side hustle or a side gig or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's been something that's really kind of grown and evolved over the last few years and been doing a lot more projects. Uh, digitally and, and, and with, with print magazines and other things like that. It's been, uh, it's been just a lot of fun to kind of talk about how, you know, I do things and how I make it work out there and, and kind of just go from there. Yeah. And speaking of your writing, it was a piece of your writing that I was reading, I don't know, a few weeks ago that just reminded me that I needed to get you on the podcast and that I had to get Cody on the podcast because that was an article you wrote about a hunt that Cody was on and you actually got to be a part of it, filming him, um, and then you told the whole story there in North American Whitetail Magazine. So, Cody, then, um, can you give us a quick intro to yourself and then also maybe how you and Alex um, start working together with Dream Chasers and everything? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, born and raised out here in Nebraska, right on the Kansas-Nebraska border. So, I always kind of joke around and tell people, like, it's almost like living in Iowa because I can kill a deer in Kansas and then two in Nebraska, so I can get three every year. That's nice. Um, so it's kind of a cool <laughs> deal out here. <laughs> but, um, no, you know, I grew up in a hunting family, um, just always had a huge passion for it. If you would have told me, you know, when I was younger that I would get into video and photography, I would have told you you were crazy. Um, just didn't have a passion for it when I was younger. Until um, a guy moved to town here that was actually filming for the Archer's Choice um, with Ralph and Vicky, and he asked me to become a part of their team and started filming and just fell in love with it. Realized I had an eye uh, for video and photography, and and it kind of took off. Um, started my own business, and you know now we're we're doing Dream Chasers um, as a digital show on Carbon TV and YouTube. Um, I also have a company that does uh, video photography work for hunting companies. Um, that's kind of how Alex and I actually got started. Um, we got hired by a guy to do a pilot for a show. Um, gosh, Alex, how long has it been now? Uh, it, the story's crazy enough as it is. And I'll, I'll let you go, but it's been, I'll let you keep telling. But it's been like. I think that was, I, I was trying to think about this the other day and I think, or when I was actually, it was actually when I was driving back from Kansas, when we were hunting together, but I think it was, mm-hmm. I think it was like nine years ago. That's what I was thinking too. It was getting close to 10 years now. We both got hired 
we, we knew, knew each other through social media and stuff a little bit um, back and forth. Um, a friend of ours kind of introduced us through social media. I think we had talked on the phone one time. And then yep. all of a sudden, we both get hired to go do this pilot uh, down in Kansas Separately. City. And we had no idea we had gotten hired at the same time. And Alex had got there before me. And I walk in the door, and I see him. I'm like, what the heck are you doing here, man? <laughs> so then we just we sat down. We did the pilot. We filmed it for this guy and put it all together. And, and the rest is history. I mean, we've, we became great friends. I invited him to come out here and turkey hunt that next spring. And... He's been coming out here turkey hunting and deer hunting every year since, and it's just been quite a roller coaster ride. Yeah, that's awesome. You guys are doing a good job. I've been able to watch some of your video episodes over the years, and uh, you're putting out a great product. And obviously, living there in in pseudo Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska border, that's a pretty good spot to be. You guys, yeah. you guys are putting them down. Um, so, on that note, then I have to ask because. The other thing, there was two things that, that made me think of you guys to get on the, the podcast. One was that article I mentioned. And number two, it was something you posted on Instagram, I think, Cody, that just got like the, the drama sensors in my body going on overload. You said that there'd been this great big giant buck that you'd been keeping tabs on all year. And you thought that with this late season cold weather and snow that you finally might have an opportunity for him. I think you said that you got pictures of him like five days in a row on this little mm-hmm. camera in this section and and last night so the night before we recorded this was the night you thought you were going to kill him so i was sitting here in my in my office looking at that crossing all my fingers and toes and just saying oh please cody <laughs> kill that buck so we can hear that story today on the hey, podcast me too i was i was doing the same thing <laughs> so <laughs> so please tell me did you kill that buck um, no, uh, we did not. Uh, but I did pass like a 150 inch seven pointer last night in oh, order to idiot. try to kill that deer. Wow. <laughs> I'm kind of kicking myself a little bit now. Uh, no, uh, we call that deer epic, um, kind of a crazy story. So spring of 2016, I found a shed on that farm, actually his left side, that's the only history I had with that deer ever. I never had a picture of him, nothing. I just found this big six by side on that property uh, during the 16 shed season. And I'd never got a picture of him until this year. He finally showed back up. So I'm guessing off of his shed, I really have no history. The shed was already pretty big. So I'm guessing he was probably a four-year-old then. Probably he's either six or seven this year is what I'm guessing him at. He shows up this summer, and instantly I'm like, okay, that's the deer I'm hunting in Kansas this year. I've got several other really good deer, but I just kind of fell in love with him. And as soon as he shed his velvet, he just disappeared. Um, I didn't get hardly – I think the last picture I got of him was October the 5th or something like that. And then he just recently showed up again about six days ago, and – He's been on that trail camera, on that food plot almost every day. I think five out of the last six days. And, of course, last night, I have to have a perfect wind. I have to have a south or southeast wind to hunt that. And, of course, last night was the only night he doesn't show up in daylight. I get home. That's a cell cam. It's a Spartan cell camera there. I get home. My phone goes to dink, and he was there. (laughs) (laughs) So the drama continues with the deer we call Epic. Uh, you know, I haven't hunted him hardly all year just because he hasn't been around. He's kind of waiting, not really hunting any other deer. Finally get a chance to hunt him, and the one night that I hunt him, he doesn't show up. <laughs> so Man. he's kind of 
He's and not you, pushing my buttons a little bit. Seven. And yes, passed and seven. I passed the big seven. <laughs> and Alex actually had an encounter with that deer when he was out here. Uh, so he knows how big that deer is. And he's, I texted him last night and he was like, Oh, Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah, it was wow. tough, but, uh, definitely my eyes definitely on Epic and, and hopefully we can get him killed here by the end of the year, but we'll see. See Mark, a couple of Michigan boys, uh, from Michigan don't, you know, he starts to talk about passing 150 inch deer, especially 150 <laughs> and seven point. We, we can't relate to that. <laughs> oh no. It makes my, makes my mind like slowly explode or melt or something when I hear that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I got to give him, I, in all seriousness, I got to give him credit though. He's been, he's been incredibly patient and, and man, when he gets his mind set on one deer as much as we'll talk about, it's, you can't you can't change it yeah i hear no it's it's a problem i have an issue (laughs) (laughs) so so this deer epic can you can you describe this deer for us what's he what's he look like what makes him so epic um he's just actually kind of the crazy way how he got his name epic is i had the owner of big and jay uh long range attractants come down and hunt with me this year jeremy atkins and i sent him a trail camera picture of that deer this summer and he texts me back and goes, man, that deer is so epic. And I was like, bam, there you go. There's That's his it. name. <laughs> so we just kind of started calling him epic after that. Uh, he's kind of, he's actually a mainframe six by six, um, really tall and narrow. Uh, his right side is kind of goofy. He's got a big split brow on that side. And his G2 on that side is only like, I don't know, maybe three inches long, four inches long. It kind of curls back. And then the rest of his tines are real big on that side. And then his left side is just a real big six point side. I mean, he's got or six points on that side. He's got a big two, big three, big four. I mean, he's just, he's got everything you ever want. He's heavy mass. Um, I actually got his shed. I'm looking at his shed right here in the, in the house. And I mean, clear back in 16, when we found that side, I mean, it's, I think I scored it at like 70, 77 or 78 inches oh, wow. back then so he's he, he's special his beams curl up what really front, you know way high in the front he's just uh just a really cool deer he's an epic deer so <laughs> <laughs> wow so this spot where he's been coming in these last five six days what you know why do you think that's happening can you describe that area and then how you had set up on it yeah you know um I actually tried something different there this year. Uh, I've had a food plot there for a few years, but it's kind of been an early season spot because this farm is really good early season. Uh, this year, I decided to try to put a late season plot in there because um, I wasn't going to hunt the early season quite as much. And it just seems to be working really, really well. I think it's only a half acre food plot and it's a mix. I did, I believe it's triticale, black oats, and uh, winter rye, a mix that I put in there. And on a half acre last night, we had 32 deer on a half acre food plot. Um, It's just been a magnet right there. All the neighboring farms were soybeans this year, and those crops are obviously out. And my property there was corn. So I've got this little half acre rye field, and then I've got the corn field. So I basically got all the winter, you know, the good winter food sources on my place and the ruts really starting to wind down here. And I think those deer have just found it and it's just, it's become a magnet right there. It, it's really been blowing my mind how many deer are hitting that small little area and consistently. I mean, there was, 
I think, I think we had eight different bucks in front of us last night at one point in time. Um, two of which were mature deer, including that seven pointer. And then, like I said, Epic shows up right after dark when, right when I get home. So <laughs> he was there. Hopefully, hopefully maybe we can get after him again tonight, if not tomorrow. So I, you know, so often in the late season, you find it just becomes more and more difficult to get in and hunt these spots sometimes because does many times mm-hmm. are bedding closer to the food source. And if you're trying to hunt the food source, it just seems so easy. If you spook one doe that might be bedded close, if she runs back, it might send everything cascading mm-hmm. back and shut down the whole night. Um, how do you have this set up on this little food plot so you can hunt it? That, to be honest with you, that's almost exactly what happened to us last night. Uh, we had a bunch of does. There's a big cedar thicket. Uh, real close i'm talking 20 yards off of that and there will be deer bedding in there sometimes and as we pulled up on the property last night my phone was going off and there was already does in the food plot so i could see them while we were in the truck um so we actually sat in the truck and waited for them to go off the camera and then we snuck in and we actually snuck in i've got a redneck blind sitting around the edge of the food plot and it's pretty easy access to get in and as long as you have the perfect wind, you can actually, there's a lot of tall CRP there, and you can actually sneak into the back door of this blind really easy with deer bedded close. We actually got up in the blind, and I started scanning, and we had, I think, seven does bedded within 80 yards of us and got in clean. So it's just a deal where you got to go in really early, just got to take your time. Uh, Like I said, there's real tall CRP there, and you can kind of come right in the back door of that blind super easy to walk in it's just it's just one of those spots that's just money for getting in and out wow so then what's the game plan moving forward then he showed up after dark last night um what mm-hmm. are you what are you gonna do now <laughs> well to be honest with you uh rifle season opened up today in uh kansas and i really want to kill him with a bow as much as i want to kill him with a bow i'm not going to pass up an opportunity to put a deer like this on the ground um not sure if i'm gonna be able to hunt him tonight we've got a west wind tonight which is not very good at all um for that spot we got actually a northeast wind tomorrow which i can get away with uh with a bow or a gun i've got a blind um sitting off that food plot about 100 yards as well so whether we go hop in a tree stand on the other side of that food plot tomorrow with a bow or uh break out the old gun not sure what i'm going to do yet but uh we're just going to keep watching that Spartan camera and kind of let him tell tell me what he's doing. I really thought last night was going to be a night because it was about a high of 26 degrees uh, yesterday, real cold. We got highs in the 40s now, so I thought last night was going to be the night. But, um, you know, he's been showing up. He showed up uh, the other day at 4.50 in the afternoon. It was 50 degrees out. So he's really got no rhyme or reason to what he's doing. Um, I think the biggest thing is just being persistent with him. Um, being smart, only going in there on the perfect days, the perfect wins, and uh, not boogering him up. And, and eventually, I think if I'm just persistent and patient, we'll be able to put him on the ground. Yeah, is that is that kind of the name of the game for you when it comes to, you know, we're, 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 I, I feel like we're really close to being able to say that we're transitioning to the late season. I mean, we're, we're still in November mm, as yeah. of right this moment, but I think that most people are kind of transitioning their mindset to the late season kind of hunt. Um, mm-hmm. So, so what you just described there, is that what you're typically doing this time of year, whether it's a specific buck you're after or just waiting for any mature buck or, or if not, what else would you add as far as your general late season tactics? 
I, honestly, I mean, I think that's a great late season tactic, um, you know, just being patient. But in all honesty, as far as, you know, like we talked about earlier, I get pretty obsessed with a certain deer every year. You know, after we killed the deer that we were going to talk about later that was in the article last year, you know, I told myself, you know, this year I'm just going to go out and I'm going to shoot, you know, a good mature buck. I'm not going to be picky. Well, I actually told my mom that she looked at me and laughed and said, yeah, right. You're going to get a picture of a deer, you know, that just gets, gets you going. And that's the deer. But, and like I said, I kind of have a problem when it comes to that. Um, I think honestly, when you get fixed on a certain deer, patience is the biggest thing you can possibly do. I mean, it took me, you know, I followed the deer that we're going to talk about later for four years and hunted him for two years. Um, and I only hunted that deer maybe a handful of times in two years on the perfect conditions. And we saw that deer almost every single time we hunted. So I think being patient, being persistent. Now, obviously, you know, if you're hunting, you know, a small track of land or public land or something like that, a lot of times you can't be as patient because somebody else might be in there hunting. You know, luckily I've got some pretty good neighbors in the area. Uh, The property to the east of me there where Epic is living, nobody can hunt. Um, So it's pretty there's not a lot of pressure there, I guess I'd say, so I can be patient. But, you know, if you're hunting private ground, you know, you got good neighbors, stuff like that, I think patience is the biggest thing you can do. You know, hunt really smart. I think Alex can kind of say the same thing um, when he comes out here. You know, he doesn't he, – he, he stays very persistent. And I, I think, like I said, just patience, I think, is the biggest thing you can do when you're hunting a single deer and just – I mean, when you're hunting these five, six, seven-year-old deer, you booger them one time, you might not ever see them again. So I, I definitely think that's that's what you got to do is be patient. Yeah. Yeah, I've certainly seen the same thing. Um, what about you mentioned the fact that you've got this rye field, rye and black oats mm-hmm. and uh, triticale mm-hmm. or whatever that's called. Uh, what, As far as like food sources, right, so much of our late-season plan is around those food sources. Where you're at in Kansas, what – What's the kind of progression of attraction as far as as far as what deer are keying in on at this time of year for you guys out there? Is it is it usually the corn like you mentioned, um, or what mm-hmm. are the different things that you're focusing on? You know, late season like now, if you're doing food plots, um, you know, grains are, are are great right now. Um, a lot of times we'll leave standing beans. You know, late season standing beans are great. They're high protein, high energy. Um, corn is definitely probably the winner around here as far as late season, just because it's a high energy food source for them. Um, they don't hit like cut bean fields real great late in the year. Um, they'll hit, you know, standing beans a lot better. I will say one thing that is huge out here in Kansas is Milo. If you have standing Milo somewhere, uh, it, it will bring deer for miles. I don't know what it is about it, but Milo is just an insane, crazy late season attractant out here. If it's standing, um, you know, if it's harvested, they'll still hit it. Uh, as far as harvested corn or harvested fields, though, corn's definitely number one. Um, as far as just, you know, your regular ag fields, if you go into, you know, food plots and stuff like that, you know, brassica plots, I've had really good luck with those. Um, but it seems that, you know, the wheats, um, the black oats, the rye, those cereal grains uh, seem to be 
just a really good magnet and a really good food source out here for the late season. And they're also fairly decent throughout the whole hunting season. Um, that's what's kind of nice about them. I went, I kind of go in and no-till them in around the first part of September, and they'll start coming up good for me. And it's just a good lush green food source through the entire hunting season and, you know, clear into January and February. Hmm. Yeah, I've always been surprised, you know, up here in Michigan, I've always worried that, those grains, uh, cereal grains like like uh, oats, would lose attraction once you got into the really cold weather. Um, but the oat, I plant, mm-hmm. I plant kind of a similar combination to what you're alluding there to. I usually plant oats and brassicas, and I'm always surprised mm-hmm. every year in December. These deer are still now. Of course, they they prefer the brassicas. They spend most of their time in the brassicas, but they're still hitting those oats. Um, it always yeah. is kind of eye opening to me that there's there's still value you know, clear into clear, almost at the end of the year. So, um, it's mm-hmm. interesting that you're seeing the same thing. Um, definitely. And there's different variety of oats as well. Like the black oats that I, um, put into this mix in particular, or they stay greener longer as far as when the temperature gets down. And the reason why I picked the triticale, um, triticale, some people call it triticale, some people call it triticale. Um, the reason I picked those three is your rye is going to stay green the longest, but your triticale is going to be um, more palatable earlier in the year. And then your um, oats are going to be kind of, it kind of goes from triticale to the oats um, to the rye. So you've got kind of three different varieties. Each one stays green, you know, a little bit longer. So, you know, we noticed last night when we were sitting there that some of the, some of the oats were starting to get a little bit yellow, but yet your rye's are still green. So, you know, if you can plant a good mix like that with you putting Nebraska's in, you know, they're great really late into the season. I mean, clear into January maybe. Um, if you got a mix that's got a little bit of everything to get them through the entire season, I definitely think that's a great way to go. Yeah, I've always liked to do that. And it also – you know, by having a mix or, you know, what I've done is I do strips. So in the same plot, I've got oats and then a strip of brassicas and a strip of oats. Either way, I feel like by having an all-season attraction in a plot, it helps you develop an all-season-long or all-year-long, in some cases, depending on what you're planting, an all-season-long pattern um, that you can then exactly. identify and hunt off of. Versus, you know, if you have one plot of clover over here and then 400 yards away, then you got a plot with your brassicas. Then all of a sudden you've got deer that are doing one thing in September and then they're completely doing something different in December and completely doing something different maybe in November. And then that can, you know, then you're bouncing around a whole lot more and, and it becomes harder to figure out a specific deer in some cases, um, especially where they're in a bed, things like that. Um, so it's an interesting point. Uh, Alex, would you add anything more as far as late season tactics? I don't know. You know, outside of just hunting food, is there anything else you're keeping in mind, you know, as we head into December? Well, and, and Cody, I mean, he, he hit it really pretty much right on. He's got, he's got this, this thing down to a science. The deer don't always cooperate necessarily, but, um, I mean, the guy's been, the guy's been passionately and, you know, consistently doing it, doing it right, uh, for years to come. So he's, I agree with everything he said, especially with the Milo. That's been an interesting thing because we don't really have it, you know, in Michigan, we don't, a lot of people don't really grow it, you know, sorghum or milo, and it's not a, a common crop there, more for sand, you know, sandier, loamy or uh, more loamy soils out there. And, um, 
but it's been, that's been an eye opener for me is just, you know, we, Cody and I get together quite a bit throughout the year and stuff. So I'm out there kind of not just in the spring and the fall necessarily, but throughout the summer, I can see the growing seasons and the progressions and things like that. And it's, uh, it's amazing. And one of the cool things about it, I mean, is like Cody said, when there's a standing crop like that, it's nice, but unlike corn, when it's standing, you can still kill them in it. So that's, <laughs> that's always, that's a, why I always a good say thing. it's attractive as corn, but when they stand up, you can still shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's awesome. So, I've actually, I've actually yeah. got a farm this year that does have a little patch of, or not a little, a decent patch of Milo planted in it. Um, so I'm going to have to try to take advantage of this this December. Right, right. Definitely. Yeah, I would thought, definitely keep an eye on it. I'd say it's definitely food. You know, food is food is king. Uh, like Mark Dury always says, they're slaves to their stomachs. And um, But for me, it's a little bit different. Uh, I just don't have uh, property here, especially in, in Western Illinois, where I can, you know, plant food plots or anything like that. So I've hunt a lot of public ground. And uh, it gets a little tougher as it gets later, mainly because they just – they bed so much closer to food, uh, depending on the pressure. It's, it's actually kind of weird. I, I actually prefer, I almost prefer more pressured areas in the late later in the season than unpressured areas because it still forces them to bed a little bit farther away from the food sources. So you have more opportunity to get tighter to that bedding or tighter to that security cover and have less of a chance of, be, of, of bumping them when it, when they're on unpressured property, especially when it's late and they've got plenty of food around, um, they can, I mean, they can bed right off the food source and it's almost impossible to get in there without, without screwing it up. So, uh, that's kind of my, is just trying to get between the bed and the food a little bit, uh, and still hug closer to that, that bedding side of things. That's, that's kind of my, it's kind of the crux or the, the, the main, I guess, center point of my strategies anyway, is just, uh, is just really understand how and where and when they're bedding and then try to adapt uh, and get as close to that as I can. Yeah. And I feel like both of you guys mentioned this and it's, it's worth, I think noting again, so much of this late season time period, of course, food is King. Like you said, Alex slaves to their stomach, but then because of the pressure aspect, I feel like even more so than any time of the year, picking your days is, is more important than mm-hmm. ever. As far as making yep. sure that, that the times that you do strike really have to be well-timed because I just don't think you can get away with any more mistakes at this point. Once you get to December, these deer have been hunted for several months, probably. They've dealt with a lot mm-hmm. of humans, probably. They're very pressured. They're very on edge, especially a mature buck. You know, he he just is not going to tolerate things. Maybe he tolerated a little bit in November, um, but once December rolls around, all he wants to do is refill his stomach, get you know fattened up for the winter, and you know, just avoid anything that's going to bug him. And so I just think being careful about just like you're doing Cody, you know, not going in there mm-hmm. if things are not just right, like waiting for just that right situation to get in there after him. Um, whether that be oh, the right it's, wind. It's not easy. I mean, I was getting pictures of him for five days in a row in daylight. I mean, so if you think it was, you know, it's, it was very difficult not to go in there and try to hunt him. But at the same time, you know, I know that if I go in there when it's not perfect conditions, it's not a perfect wind, and he smells me one time or, you know, he watches does smell me and, and blow and take, you know, something like that. I mean, one little slip up and he might go, you know, not show up at all or go nocturnal on me. And I, it's, it's just not worth it. Just from experience in the past, you know, like we were talking about the deer we'll talk about here later, 
Like I hunted him five times that whole entire year and we saw him every single time and finally killed him on the fifth time. So patience and waiting for those perfect moments is definitely key. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about this buck. This is the buck you call Longhorn. And, um, I I want you to tell us this story from the very beginning. And then Alex, you in the background, listen to him. And whenever he, you, whenever he gets something wrong or whenever he's not quite coloring things as much as you know, you know, being a friend in the background, feel free to jump in and be like, no, you weren't that calm. You were, you were a mess or whatever it is. (laughs) Well, and and that's the thing. Like I will say it's, it's so funny because he, it's like, we're, it's, it's funny. We're joke. Like we, I mean, it's, we're so close. And like, even what's so cool about our friendship and just the way we, we get to hunt together and do dream chasers and things like that. And it's like, our families have like become like my, our moms talk all the time and our friends, like my dad, like we come out and our dads hunt. We hunt like, it's like, it's become like this big family thing. So I know him super well. And, and he just, it's so funny to watch, to watch how like he ties himself up in knots almost with anxiety just because he's like, <laughs> Oh, well this one's wrong here, but I got to go hunt him here. But I know he's showing up here and it's just like this back and forth. Like, like we all do at different times, but the one thing I do have to tip my hat to him for, though, is, is we, we talk about patience, and, and that's kind of what he's going to get into. But it's he is a much more patient hunter than I am. I, I probably take risks a little bit more or, or get a little bit more aggressive on certain times and certain things, and it's probably it's probably cost me an end. So I've, I've learned definitely some patience is key, but I'll definitely make sure that he's uh, – I'll make sure he's staying on point. <laughs> All right. So with that, <laughs> with that Cody, uh, take it away. All right, so uh, the story of Longhorn, you know, he kind of starts, gosh, I killed him when he was five years old. So we first started seeing him when he was a two-year-old. My wife and I were actually just around the corner from my house uh, watching a big bean field on a place that we lease that is right next to our home farm. And we were actually watching a different deer, a real big 10-pointer out there, and this two and a half year old buck comes out and he's already a six by six. And he just, uh, he stood out from the crowd like big time. Um, he was wide already, just had this really great looking frame. And I remember looking at my wife and saying like, man, that deer right there is going to be special. Like he's just got unreal genetics um, to be a two and a half year old deer and be a six by six already is ridiculous. And when I say six by six, I'm talking a perfect mainframe, six by six, typical, just beautiful, what you dream of. And he had this, you know, real wide frame. And I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, you grow up watching TV and stuff like that, you know, hunting shows, and you see these big wide frame bucks in South Texas. And I, uh, he just instantly kind of looked like a Texas deer to me. Um, so we called him Longhorn. And, uh, you know, not only that, he, he looked kind of like a Texas longhorn because he was so wide with this little two and a half year old body. Um, so anyway, I kind of knew at that point, like, Hey, I need to really keep tabs on this deer, try to keep him on, you know, our home farm and our lease right next door to our home farm and hold him there. Because when he gets to be, you know, four five, six years old, he's going to be a giant. So that year, I can't remember even what deer I ended up killing that year, but we watched him. We saw him several times. I had him gosh, less than 20 yards. I don't know how many times that year. And every time I saw him, I was just mesmerized at how awesome he was. So then the next year he explodes as a three and a half year old. 
he was like one low one sixties already as a three-year-old. And I remember another friend of ours, Cody Jarrett, uh, comes out here and he's filming or I'm filming him one morning and Longhorn come down the river with a doe and he was snort wheezing at other bucks and just being crazy and ends up bedding down 20 yards right behind us. And he's, you know, 160 inch three-year-old. And I remember Jarrett turns around and looks at me. He's like, man, all you got to do is tell me he's four. All you got to do is tell me he's four and we'll, <laughs> we'll kill him right now. I'm like, no, like we got to wait, you know, we got to wait. So we saw him several times that year. Um, we actually did find his two-year-old sheds and his three-year-old sheds. So moving on um, to now he's four years old. Um, most of the time up here, my home farm is kind of unique. It's part Nebraska, part Kansas. It's right on the line. Um, so I can actually hunt him. I was hunting that deer in both states. Wow. So it just depends on where the block of timber that he was in, he could be in either state. Uh, just So basically just depending on winds, depending on you know how the situation was, we might be hunting him in Nebraska one night, we might be hunting him in Kansas the next. It was, it's just kind of a cool, cool situation right there. So we decided because I do have a decent amount of pressure up here um, around my home farm that as a four-year-old, we were gonna start hunting him. Um, he was in the upper 70s. I've got both of his sheds guessing spread. He was around 177 um, as a four-year-old. And we decided yes. we we're going to start hunting him. And the crazy thing is I did not buy a regular Kansas tag that year. I bought a landowner tag. And part of the property in Kansas that he was living on mostly is actually what we lease next to our home farm. So through a lot of the year when he was a four-year-old, I couldn't legally hunt him where he was staying most of the time because I had a landowner tag. Now, why did you do um, that? Why didn't you get a exactly, tag? Mark? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because I don't know. I don't know why I did that. Honestly, it was kind of a stupid, stupid decision on my part. Um, but a good buddy if of I mine, remember correctly, I did. I was able to hunt him in Nebraska. And that's where I was getting most of his summer pictures is probably why I did it. Cause I was thinking, so I, I'm like, okay, well, he's going to stay more on the Nebraska side this year. So I'll get a Nebraska tag and hunt him with that um, and get a landowner tag just because of the fact it's cheaper for me. But it was a dumb decision. If I, rem my if I, rem if I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, I think you were had a project or you were doing something and got, it, we got busy doing something or whatever. And I think, you forgot to apply or like you had missed you like missed honestly the, that is exactly what happened that is what happened <laughs> yes i you, I you missed, missed the deadline busted <laughs> i was gone i was actually out of town filming something with big and jay is actually exactly what it was and i remember i missed the deadline um to put in that's what it was that's exactly what it was um, but anyway, my, one of my real good friends here um, in town that actually goes in on that lease with me next door to our home farm, um, he did have a regular tag. So he actually got to hunt him more than I did. Um, and there's a field right next to the block of timber that that deer was living in. He lived in basically a 40-acre block of timber his whole life is, was his home range. I mean, he would, he would go other places, obviously, but that 40-acre block of timber is where he spent 90% of his time. And it's a perfect square. And it's, it's difficult to hunt because he can literally, if you get, you can't really get too close to him in there because they can see you coming from quite a distance. 
And he can literally get up and say, okay, I'm going to cross the river and go to an alfalfa field. Or I'm going to go to this cornfield, or I'm going to go to this cornfield, or I'm going to go to this milo field. Like, there's really no rhyme or reason. There's so many ag fields right around that little block of timber that he would just go to whichever one he felt. And that's what make, made him so hard to pattern, so hard to hunt. Um, but one of the fields is our neighbor's field that we don't have permission to hunt. And we were literally 10 yards inside the timber one night facing, you know, facing the timber. And he comes out probably 70 or 80 yards around. And this is when he was still a four and a half year old, 70, 80 yards around us and ends up coming and stands 35 yards broadside, dead to rights, right behind us, but in our neighbor's field. So we couldn't shoot him. And we've got footage of all that. And we ended up watching him for over an hour that night, uh, chasing does. We actually had like a, oh, a mid one forties, 10 pointer that come out clear on the other side of the field and sidestepped with his head sideways going to him. Like he's going to fight him. And Longhorn just stands there, never moves, just stares at him until he gets about 30 yards from him. And he just lets out the nastiest snort wheeze you've ever heard. And that 10-pointer tucks his tail and ran for like 300 yards across the field and went into December. That's all it took. <laughs> it was the craziest, Jeez. craziest night. But um, then we had another encounter that year uh, where we had a doe leading him right to us. And he actually kind of bull rushed the doe when he got to about 50 yards. And she turned to her left and ended up going around. I think we ended up having six encounters with him inside 60 yards when he was a four-and-a-half-year-old and just couldn't couldn't get him killed it was miserable to watch him um so then we ended up finding both of his sheds that year um he lived good uh he did have a limp though at the end of that year and i was a little bit nervous uh, he had an injury either from fighting or just run himself down and he we hardly had any summer pictures of him the next year and i was scared to death that something had, had happened to him he got infection um he had moved i didn't know what in the world was going on and finally he started showing up i can't remember it was end of i want to say the end of august uh i think he showed up last week of august something like that and then he was pretty consistent for a while and he was right back in that 40 acre um patch of timber and of course this year i that year I did get the right tag so I could hunt him. Uh, remember to put in. Definitely remember to put in because he was he was in the mid one eighties now, uh, so I wasn't gonna screw that up. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he, he he did grow some, but he did not blow up near what I thought he was gonna blow up to. Um, but still, just an unbelievable deer, and uh, it was it was time. I was gonna put all my eggs in one basket basically and just hunt that deer, and that's what we did. And I hunted him, like I said, about five times. I think the first time I went in to hunt him was the 26th of October. I got a picture of him uh, working a scrape line that I had found just across the river from his main core area. And we went in and hung a set. My wife and I went in and hung a set and hunted it that night. And we saw him, boom, right away. I kind of had a guess to where he was bedding. And he was one of the first bucks we saw. And I actually drew on him that night. Um, and right as I draw, he lunged after a doe <laughs> and went through my shooting lane. Then he stood at like 41 yards kind of behind some stuff, worked some scrapes. I grunted at him a few times, and he just he was with that doe, didn't want anything to do with me. 
And so he, he moved on. I waited till Halloween night, uh, moved to a little bit different location. I actually rattled him in on Halloween night. Uh, he came into about 55 yards in the timber, just kind of stood, didn't see a fight, didn't see a deer, you know, just a smart five and a half year old deer. He just slowly turned around and went back in the timber. Um, at this point, Alex is starting to get out here and Alex being a good guy that he is, uh, he says, he's like, man, he's like, I'll film you, you know, anytime you need to be filmed, we'll get it done. We need to get this deer killed. You know, I know how much he means to you. You know, when I say this deer means something to me, like, you know, watching him as a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, you know, basically raising this deer like a pet almost. I mean, he felt like he was my dog, you know, or something like that. <laughs> All the pictures you got of him, um, everybody knew what he meant to me. And for Alex, you know, to sacrifice some of his hunting time to go film me, you know, was awesome. Um, you know, he enjoyed it too. So I think Alex helped me out here a little bit. Was it like the third of November? When when did you and I see him the first time? It was like the yeah. It was it was it was later than that. It was uh. It was later than that. I think, was, I think I'd seen him I one more the next... time the first week in November with another friend, another buddy of mine that was filming me. And then when Alex got here, we saw him. I think what four days before I killed him. Yeah, it was it was it was, like the, like, the, it was like the tenth. It was like the tenth or eleventh or something like that. I want to say tenth or eleventh. Yeah, so we went in on like the tenth or eleventh and had a perfect condition. Saw him again and couldn't get on him he was actually out kind of with a doe again got a bunch of good footage of him and i remember saying that night like you know you'd think i'd get tired of hunting this deer and seeing him you know every time that we see him but every time i see him you know it just gave me that much more motivation you know to get after him and get him killed and back to the patience thing uh, after we saw him there the winds kind of got goofy it got warm uh conditions just weren't perfect like we were talking about um, I needed a north wind, a perfect north wind, and a cold morning. And I had a feeling I had hung a set earlier in the year, clear back in the summer, real close to the edge of his bedding that I knew I could probably kill him in a morning, but I had to have the absolute perfect conditions. And we finally got that on the 15th of November. And I got permission from the neighbor to go in and cross the river and come right in the back door to this place. And Alex and I have a deal. So every time something goes wrong, like we forget stuff or something just silly happens, we end up killing a deer. Like it's, it's science that that happens every single time. So we pull into the neighbors and we hear this weird noise. Like we pull into the field and we hear this weird noise. Like what in the world was that? And we get out, well, the guy had just strung an electric fence in this cornfield to put his cows in there. And we hit the fence and with the truck and it just explodes like 40 yards in both directions, bit posts. And we're like, oh my (laughs) gosh. So I'm calling the neighbor at five o'clock in the morning, like, dude, we hit your fence or there cows in here. And he luckily was like, no, there's no cows in there right now. He's like, I'm putting them in there like tomorrow or something like that. Um, don't worry about it. We'll fix it, you know, later when you get done hunting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank gosh. Yeah, because we're thinking like, man, we're not going to be able to hunt. We're going to have to fix this fence. It was, you know, a crazy deal. So we kind of gathered ourselves, got our clothes on, and started walking in. We get to the stand, and our camera arm. So we're using a fourth arrow camera arm, 
and we have their, they got this little cam lock on the bottom of them. Well, I wasn't paying attention and that thing wasn't twisted on there very good. So when I go to lock it down, <laughs> it unthreads and the screw and that cam lock fall to the ground. Wow. <laughs> and like I'm like, three tiny oh my God. Like, <laughs> oh, the teeny tiny, the tiniest little things you can think of. I look at Alex, I'm like, I should have just stayed in bed this morning. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. And he starts laughing. He's like, no, man. He's like, all this stuff's going on. We're going to kill one this morning. I'm like, we were kind of laughing, you know, at that point. So I climb all the way down, miraculously find these little pieces and leaves that are a foot deep. And climb back up. We get that situated. Then I go to pull my bow up. And my bow is literally caught on the bottom step of like the limb is caught underneath the bottom rail of the steps going up the tree. Wow. And oh, I cannot get my, I cannot get it on. I cannot get it off no matter what I do. So at this point I'm like, we're almost hysterically laughing in the stand. Like it's starting, starting to get light. Like we're like this is unbelievable. Like this is ridiculous. So I climb down again, unhook my bow, climb back up, pull it up, knock an arrow. We didn't even do an interview. I don't think. And it's, I mean, it's still fairly dark and I hear something walking and I look down and the second biggest deer in that timber, which I ended up killing later with a muzzleloader, 156 inch 10, um, is at six yards right below us. We have no idea where he came from. No idea how he got there, but we've got this, this other deer at, at six steps right below us. It's not camera light yet. Um, he's the only other deer I'm willing to put a Kansas tag on in that area. Uh, anyway, he, he, he didn't spook. He didn't know we were there. Uh, he goes off, but we kind of thought he almost acted like he had just got his butt kicked. Like he was leaving an area. Like he was like getting out of there. And so we thought that was kind of weird. So we let the sun come up. And I, at this point, getting mid-November, I'm like, you know, I would kill, probably kill that deer and you know try to hunt longhorn on the nebraska side of things or or whatever later in the year uh so i hit the horns together actually to try to rattle that deer that we had just seen back in and i'm hitting the horns together i hang them up and alex goes hey there's a buck in the field and i turn around and no more than get my binoculars on him for two seconds and realized it was longhorn and he's loping across the field right to us. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, Alex, you know, it's him, you know, whatever. Grab my bow. He comes right to the edge of the field, right. And he's just looking in the timber again, smart five and a half year old deer doesn't see a fight. And I'm like, he's going to walk out of my life again. You know, I'm, I'm getting a little nervous. He finally starts to come into the timber and he stops about 50 yards away and he's just looking and looking and he's got basically two options. If he goes to our right, he's going to go around us and possibly get downwind or he's going to come right underneath the stand. If he goes on this trail that goes straight and goes to our left, he's going to walk by first at 25 yards and then even closer when he comes around the front of the stand. He stands there for what seems like an eternity and finally flicks his tail and we knew he was going to come and he goes left. And I'm like, I, I remember I was the calmest I think I've ever been. And I remember I, I told Alex, I'm like, okay, here he comes. He's going to come right here and he's going to be perfect. And so I wasn't, calm. you know, we go, yeah, 
I, I was like insane calm, probably just because I'd seen him so many times. You know, I've been dreaming of that moment and had my game face on, I guess. And he's coming. I remember um, saying out, you know, you're on him right there. I remember drawing while he goes behind a tree. I remember Alex saying, I think you can hear him in the footage. He, he goes, I'm not on him. I'm not on him. I'm not on him. You know, because I think he thought I was going to shoot him right there. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like when he comes right out right here, I'm going to shoot him right in this opening. And he finally comes out there into that opening. And I, you know, gave him a little bet. And he stops and kind of looks towards us. And I let her fly. And it just hit him perfect. The whole story came down to a 25 yard shot, as Alex said in the article. And he kind of wheels, runs out into the field, kind of stood there for just a second, got one little last burst of adrenaline, uh, disappeared kind of on the edge of the field there. And we knew, I mean, at that point I knew he was down. I knew he was, he was dead. It was just a matter of finding him. Uh, we called my dad, called my wife. Unfortunately, my wife, who had filmed me most of the time hunting him and had been, you know, the biggest part of it. She was doing a continuing ed for her job. So she wasn't even in town. I uh, couldn't get a hold of her, but we got everybody together. I think my buddy, Ryan, Alex's dad, my dad, um, another buddy of mine, Nathan Wilt. Uh, we all came down there, gave him probably an hour. We just walked out into the field to the spot, uh, where we last saw him. And as we're walking to that spot, we actually saw him laying just right on the edge of the field. And he literally died right underneath the tree stand that Alex and I had hunted just like three or four days prior um, and saw him out of that stand. And he was literally dead 10 yards right underneath of it. (laughs) It was just, just all meant to be. It was pretty, pretty crazy deal. Definitely a story. I'll be hard pressed to ever top. Wow. So Alex, you were you were uh, pretty shook up in the moment trying to film him. How was Cody after the shot? Oh, it was yeah, I mean it was just it, it was so crazy. I mean like it, and the, the hard part was is, is this this block of timber around the edges in the in inside the timber there's some blowdown and stuff like that, but it's not like it's crazy thick. There's little pockets, but all around the edges, it's pretty dang thick. So um, I, I was having trouble. Uh, I was a little bit higher than Cody. Obviously, when you're setting a stand up to film, you're a little bit above him. I couldn't, and I couldn't see. I didn't have the line of sight that Cody did. So Cody could kind of see him really well. And I was like, dude, we're not going to get this on film because I can't freaking find the deer. So like, I'm like, just I'm kind of getting more more frustrated. Well, he was than filming anything. literally around the tree too. I mean, he had the whole tree yeah. in the way. I, he did a great job. <laughs> So finally, I, I finally picked the deer up and then go, and then that's actually when I got on the deer and I was like, all right, we're good. We're good. I, I started to calm down and then we we're, and then we were in when it was go time. But yeah, I mean, once after the arrow hit him, I mean, we both knew instantly that he was smoked and it was just a, a crazy celebration. I mean, we were just, we were laughing, high-fiving, crying, hugging. I mean, it was a, it was pretty. There was definitely was, a few tears involved. <laughs> yeah. It was just one of those just crazy. It was, and, and like not to get like, super philosophical or anything but it was like at least with me like there's always times like in the woods and life whatever where it's like man i wish i would have savored the moment more to like have more of a memory like i like looking back at things but like that like in that at that time in that moment when it all kind of came to a point and it happened like it was i remember actually having like kind of thought about it like I knew we would remember it for like, it would be a memory that we have forever. Like it was something like I experienced yeah. like, this was, gonna, this is a big, big thing that we'll never forget. And 
Um, and, it, and it just meant a lot to, to everybody, you know, all of our group of friends and, and Cody. And, and it was just, uh, it was pretty, pretty unreal. Wow. Yep. I think the, the thing that I remember the most, it's almost iconic to me now. And so many people have, you know, commented on is, you know, we realized we hit him. We realized we made a great shot. We realized, you know, he was going to be dead. And then, you know, I kind of lost my mind, got pretty emotional. And, you know, I remember turning around, putting my head on the tree and, you know, thanking God that this, had, you know, finally happened, that we put the story together. And I remember Alex grabbing me and going, you did it, man. You finally did it. You know, it just, it was just a, just a really cool moment between friends. Wow. Yeah. I can't imagine that is, that's pretty special. I, uh, I can relate to you, uh, you know, as far as having those long multiple years of chasing one single deer and, uh, man, it doesn't come together all that often when it finally does. Uh, I know that's a pretty special thing. So I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that story. Although it's a little bittersweet cause I'm thinking of a buck I hunted for four years that I won't get that ending for. <laughs> um, but, uh, Is it, are, have we, have we changed his name now to just like he who must not be named? Yeah, like, are we... <laughs> yeah it's exactly. It. He's the, he's the Voldemort of the hunting world now, that buck. Um, <laughs> So moving on personally and in this podcast, um, <laughs> that, uh, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about Epic, you know, how so much mm-hmm. of hunting one single deer for you is just about being patient. Um, mm-hmm. is there anything else you would add? Any other lessons you learned from hunting, uh, Longhorn as far as targeting, and getting that one deer other than just being patient and careful about hunting him was it were there any other things as far as like learning the deer patterning the deer um anything else you would add yeah i think um i think just just educating yourself on every deer is different um i've noticed if you really pay attention to to certain bucks mannerisms um you know i've hunted deer that are extremely aggressive uh longhorn for instance, was probably the most, the single most aggressive whitetail I've ever seen. Um, I think almost every time we saw that deer, literally, I bet 85% of the times that we saw that deer, we watched him either run another buck off or snort wheeze a buck off. Um, he was constantly aggressive towards other bucks, but he also knew he was the king of the woods there. Um, so, you know, for him, you know, I think noticing deer's mannerisms and stuff like that as far as being able to kill them. You know, at the end of the day, a rattling sequence is what killed that deer. You know, he probably had just got done running the buck off that came right underneath of us, and he probably assumed that that buck had went back into the timber and was fighting another deer in his territory, you know, real close to his bedroom, and he wasn't going to have it. You know, he was coming in to kick somebody's butt and say, hey, get out of my area. Other bucks I've hunted, I mean, for example, that same year, I was hunting a seven-pointer on the Nebraska side of our ground. He was extremely non-aggressive. I actually grunted at that deer a couple different times and had him run off, like leave. He didn't want anything to do with any other bucks. He was always by himself. So I think kind of educating yourself a little bit, really trying to pay attention to the attitude of that certain deer can help you kill him. You know I mean? Like that seven pointer, basically I just had to hunt him in his core area 
to and from food. I hunted does around his area, and we ended up killing him. Uh, I think I killed him on like the 3rd of November last year, and he was literally just cruising. Um, I don't think I could have ever rattled or called that deer into me unless he just maybe was in that right mood. Whereas Longhorn, I, I mean, if you saw him, I don't know how many different times in the two years we hunted him that you would grunt at him back in the timber to try to get him come in, and he would just stop and start ripping trees and grunt at you or snort wheeze at you, but he wouldn't necessarily every time come in because he knew he was the king of the woods. He knew he didn't have to, but three different times the year that I hunted him and killed him 2017, three different times I rattled him in to 50 yards or less and just couldn't get him killed until the last time. So I guess, you know, another great, you know, good thing, if you're targeting one single deer, just really pay attention to that deer's attitude. Um, you know, if he's really aggressive, you might be able to call him in. If he's not aggressive, you might not be able to call him in. You might be doing more harm than good. So that's a, that's a good tip, I guess, um, as well, as far as being patient. Yeah, that's a great point. These, these deer really do have unique personalities. The more I, the more I see Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's just so true. Um, the one thing that I've noticed with Epic here recently on the cameras, when he comes in, he's usually not around a whole lot of other deer. And I almost wonder if that's why we didn't see him last night because there were so many deer in such a small concentrated area you know, he might just kind of be a loner. And I've definitely seen that in mature deer where, you know, they basically, during the rut, they have their certain does, but they don't like to be around a ton of deer. You know, when he come in after dark, he was all by himself, didn't have a single other deer with him. When he comes into that camera, he's usually kind of off by himself and some of the other deer, you know, might be farther out in the food plot. So maybe, you know, I don't have a ton of history with him for the fact that I only have one shed and pictures just this year. But just going off trail camera intel, when I see him, he seems to be alone most of the time or with a single doe. So, you know, he might be one that's not very aggressive and doesn't like to be around deer. So that's another reason why I've been really patient and not being real aggressive at trying to hunt him. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting observation. Um, and it's funny how you can... You know, if you're if if you're open to paying attention to those kinds of things within trail cameras, and you're not just looking, oh, there's a big buck. But if you're actually looking at what's going on around it, you can learn so much more mm-hmm. from those pictures. I think that can help you understand a buck's personality, Definitely. maybe, or some of his tendencies. Before moving on to our next topic, though, I want to take a quick second to thank our partners at Onyx, and Onyx is the producer of the Onyx Hunt app. This is a mobile application that I have been using all season long and have been using it for a number of years now. If you're not familiar, uh, you probably haven't been listening to this podcast because I talk about it a lot, but just in case you are new, this app will show you aerial views of your hunting area. It will show you topographic views. It overlays with the borders of private property and public property. It'll tell you who owns those places. It'll tell you what kind of public property you've got. It'll allow you to save waypoints, measure distances, measure areas. You can even take a waypoint and just text it to a friend. So when my buddy Furter is lost in the woods and he can't find his way to the tree stand, he texts me or calls me. He's all stressed out. He's sweating. Maybe he's got to go to the bathroom and he didn't bring any toilet paper. This kind of scenario happens all the time. And when that happens now... I don't need to try to explain things to him. I don't need to say turn right at the big oak, turn left at the creek bed. No, I can just text him a waypoint, send him right to the tree stand, and not need to worry about all that drama. So 
I'd recommend you check this one out if you haven't yet. You can learn more by searching for Onyx on your favorite mobile app store, or you can visit onyxmaps.com. Um, mm-hmm. speaking, speaking of loners, um, I, I gotta, I gotta shift gears here a little bit before we run out of time because Alex, you're kind of one of those loners who's always floating around the woods with a stand on your back, <laughs> hopping into new trees every single time. And I want to make yeah. sure, I want to make sure we hear a little bit about what you're doing. Um, in particular, you've told me a lot in the past how you're really mobile. Right, you're you're running, gunning a lot, and I, I love that. I've been doing it more and more myself. Um, can you talk a little bit about your season? You, you've had a great season, um, and maybe you know, m- kind of mold a little bit of your tactics into how you pulled off this these couple hunts. Well, it's it's, it's all pretty much like ninety percent luck, and then the rest of it just kind of happens. So <laughs> there's not really much strategy involved, but. Um, no, it's and, and honestly, it's it's just more because I have to be, um, you know, with public ground and 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 I, I do I go to every extent to follow the letter of the law and and you know a lot of our regulations here, you know, you can't leave stands, you know, fixed stands in place and and oh, you know, oh, from day to day in the tree and you can't, you got to take your stuff in and out with you and and that's just kind of how I just you know that's abide abiding by the law and not only that but it's just i found it's the most it's the best way to continue to find the deer and with me it's pretty much everything centers kind of around location so um and and that's on you know public ground or private ground or whatever and uh you know a name that gets thrown around a lot uh it's been getting thrown around a lot just because of his success and and it's you know all all rightful all, all rightful praise for sure is, is dan infault you know i learned a lot from him Growing up in Southwest Michigan, uh, the really the property that we had that I had permission to hunt that was behind my neighbors. My neighbors had, or sorry, my grandparents had uh, just you know a few acres, and then behind that was a was a pretty big farm with a huge a huge marsh and a huge swamp. So I remember I was at the Lanting Deer and Turkey Expo when I was like 15 or 16, and uh, walked by a booth, and and I mean I was a sponge. I still am. Like I I grab every you know try to grab every. When I, especially when I was at that age, grab every article, every DVD, every video I can, just because I love watching, I love watching hunting. I love to just try to learn as much as I could. And I walked by this table and there was a DVD sitting there called marsh bedding. And I was like, wait a second, like I hunt around marshes. I probably should know something about this. So like I grabbed it and sure enough, it was like Dan Infall's first ever video that he produced, like with like the blood brothers or whatever mm-hmm. it was called with, um, the other, hey, other Michigan, Michigan and Wisconsin guys. And, um, and it just like everything he said was just like wow, like I was just this is per- like this is makes so much sense for what I was seeing, and I think a lot of it comes from I've always just asked the question why, like I want to know why a deer is over here, I want to know why sign is here, I want to know why you know deer are moving over here and not over here, and so I've just tried to figure out and answer those questions, those whys all the time, and and a lot of it just boils down to location for me and 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 how habitat and terrain funnel dictate. Uh, manipulate um or it's, i should say just um kind of make deer move and and live where they where they do so and for me uh just like you know like we can all relate to in, in pressured areas uh especially like like something like public ground you know deer are going to spend especially mature bucks like we're targeting are spending majority of their time in daylight and they're bedding so figuring out ways to maneuver around that get in it stay around the outside of it be in travel corridors close to it 
uh, that's really where my thought processes start out from there, how terrain and habitat dictate that and how I can, how I can manipulate and move around some of that too. And, and the biggest thing is, is like, and again, it's nothing, nothing new really, but just like we talk about all the time, when you think about your times of success, um, you know, majority of the time, your best chance to kill that deer, especially a mature deer is your first time in. So having fresh sits and maneuver around and be able to be able to move around and and essentially have a sit every time based on now, granted, I mean, I might hunt, and especially, especially, especially here in public, uh, some of the public ground where I hunt in Illinois, you know, I've stayed relatively in kind of one section or quadrant. And we can kind of get into that a little bit too, kind of how I personally break down like public hunting areas or just break down larger areas in general in my mind. But I've hung around this one area because it just is a magnet for big deer because of the thick cover that just, it can hold them. They can feel safe. So it's like, I'm not saying like, you know, I, I hunt here once and then move, you know, a quarter mile over here and hunt. I mean, it might be a hundred yards. It might be a couple hundred yards just setting up for a different wind or a different situation or a different trail or travel corridor or wherever. And, um, but I think staying mobile like that, it keeps you in the game. It keeps you sharp. You don't get complacent. You don't get, um, you, you just, you, you're staying mentally focused more often, uh, more of the time as well as the deer don't pattern you as much. I mean, that's been incredible, especially watching it on uh, this particular property here in Illinois, which it's really hilly. There's a lot of high kind of high bluffs and ridges and, and low bottoms and stuff. And you can actually watch deer kind of circumvent the hunting pressure, hunting traffic based on like entry like parking areas and how they access and how hunters leave and like where they typically set up, you know, not, that far from the hunting areas and these certain ridges and stuff. And to watch the the deer just pattern hunters as hunters are trying to pattern the deer is, has been incredible. Um, you know, over the last five or, you know, six, seven years of really hunting aggressively kind of in this style, it's really been awesome to learn and see how they can, how they can kind of do the same thing to us as we're trying to do to them. And I think avoiding that one way to avoid that or one way to, to stay ahead of that is just, by kind of moving and, and understanding, uh, trying to, and obviously it's a, it's a cat and mouse game, right? You're trying to, you're trying to predict where they're going to be, when they're going to be there and, and how to set up accordingly based on the conditions. So it's, uh, it's definitely my preferred method and, and one that I've, I've had pretty decent success, especially in the last few years doing that. Yeah. So was that the case with either of your kills this year, the Kansas or South Dakota were those first sits? Um, my, yes, actually, well, kind of <laughs> my, my South Dakota one. Absolutely. Uh, that was, that was one, um, uh, it, it's, it was pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. I mean, I, I found this place on the map. I had not hunted. I'd, I'd hunted the same general area before in past years, but I've not been to this, like this specific kind of area. And I had to stand on my back first night. I was kind of more of an observation set than anything. I just want to like see what's happening in this area and look at the map saw it was like this kind of brushy crp it looked like a big crp field uh next to this creek that had this finger of timber that kind of wrapped around it and i was like it's got some great transition areas some transition lines i said well this this just the natural shape the vegetation habitat will funnel deer movement so kind of dropped down in went in early just kind of wanted to scout and look my way um and kind of scout my way along and just kept seeing better and better sign. I was like, all right, this is, this is really good. So 
I kind of found this area that I could, I could get up in this tree and it was like literally one of the only trees I could get in. And, uh, it was kind of low in that sense where it's either like you have monster cottonwood trees or these like scrub oak trees that are like a 90 degree angle. So it's a, it's a nightmare, but, um, <laughs> found this little tree. I got eight feet off the ground, uh, and I got set up and another big thing that I, that has really helped me that I've, I've kind of written a lot about or tried to try to maybe write about the success that I've seen from it is, is that hundred yard mark where it's like you're a hundred yards from where you want to be, or you're even within a hundred yards of where you think deer are bedded. And I certainly was the case based on the habitat that I was seeing and how, how this, the, the spot set up, but it's just slowing everything way down and taking your time and like, and, and, and approaching a location as if like you knew there was a buck within a hundred yards. I mean, just every step, just super slow. You're hanging your, you know, putting the climbing sticks up incredibly slow. You're hanging your stand quietly, no tanks, no, you know, and I do a lot with my gear to make sure that it's not making any noise and anything like that. So it was a perfect transition in habitat. And that's something that Dan, you know, in fault talks about a lot about is the transition lines. And that is like one of the major takeaways in my opinion, as far as thick security cover where one type of cover meets another type of cover. That's where you're going to find the sign. That's where they travel. That's where they stage a lot. Um, and I have seen that time and time again. This case was no different. So approach the CR. It was right on the edge of this thick, brushy CRP. And it's even thicker than I thought it was by looking at the map. So I was happy. It was kind of a happy surprise when I saw it. I was like, all right, this is awesome. And then this thick, brushy creek, creek bottom. And so I get set up. I'm in this tree and just kind of sitting there and it was kind of slow and I could see a bunch and I was like it was kind of an observation point so I was happy because I could see over the top of the CRP across the whole field and I was just trying to get it get an indication of where deer movement might be happening an adjustment for the next day and I was sitting there about an hour before dark I saw a doe working toward me that right down the transition line between the CRP and the in the creek bottom and she just kept, kept coming kept coming she got about 40 yards away and and made a hard made a hard turn into the timber and I thought she was going to come around behind me uh, in, in next to the Creek and get downwind. I was like, Oh, this is going to be great. The only deer I've seen so far, and she's going to get right behind me. But anyway, she comes in and I just hear her kind of walking in the, in the timber and I can't see her. And I finally I can get to where I can just see the bottom of her legs and she stops and she just stands there. Oh, probably a minute just standing there. And all of a sudden I just, I'm just sitting there and I, and out of nowhere, there's no other step. There's no other, you know, no other noise. And I just hear this and this buck, this buck snort with, and I'm sitting there. And the only thing I remember thinking, I said, well, that wasn't a doe. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the only thing I could think is, is doing that is I actually got into the tree and got into this location and he was bedded. He was bedded right there. And then eventually, and I'll, I'll get to it a little bit here, but I, I know for a fact he's bedded because I actually found his bed. Um, but, um, anyway, he goes, you know, snort wheezes and she, she, she kind of takes off, kind of running a little bit, does this little semi-circle, uh, this half moon shape. It comes right between me and the Creek and she comes by me at like, like, okay. And then sure enough, you know, that, that head down and kind of that, that fast stomp where they just, ch -ch -ch -ch, his nose to the ground. And I could just see, I'm like looking and looking and looking and looking. I can't see anything. I'm like, what, where is he? And then finally, he comes underneath this low branch and I finally see him. And literally the first time I laid eyes on him, he's at yards right underneath the tree. So it's so funny. I can't, I can't make it up. So like I saw mass width and, and times. I, I couldn't tell like how tall he was or anything like that, but I was like, 
I did, and then just big barrel chest. And I could, again, he was so close. I was actually, I saw the top of his back and his wide shoulders and thick forehead. And I was like, he's mature. I was like, he's mature shooter. Like, this is what I came for. I got, you know, a week, five days to get this done out here and do it yourself out in South Dakota. I was like, I'm not being picky. So, um, anyway, he comes underneath the tree. I, because I was so low, it was only eight feet. I used three lone wolf sticks. I had four with me, but I just leaned. So I just leaned the fourth stick up against the tree. He actually knocks the stick off of the tree as he's coming by. So, I mean, he literally brushed the tree that I was in. Wow. And at this time, I swear, yeah, it was, in, it was unreal. So at this time, I swung around, come to full draw, or Matt, like that, stop. Matt, a little bit louder. He, he hits 20 yards. Matt, you know, tried to stop him, gets, gets to about 25 or 30. Matt, a little louder. Makes a turn. So now he's finally, he's, he's finally, like, perfectly broadside and he's at like i range the edge of this this kind of r- this thick brush stuff right on the edge of the crp he's right he's just past it i range the edge of that at 30 yards and he was just past that so i figured he was about 35 and then finally he when he made that turn and he stopped i finally i literally yelled hey like that and he just stopped and kind of like i've seen the like, footage oh. he literally yelled at him it was pretty awesome <laughs> <laughs> I, go, I go hey and he literally he literally snap his head or anything he just he was so on her that he kind of just like just kind of nonchalantly turned his head back to me and i just i just i settled in on him for 35 yards and smoked him he went he went uh he they ran off and then went back in this back into the draw for about two seconds and then popped back out and she kept running and he tipped over so it was uh it was uh, it was pretty awesome and it's it like cody and i have this running joke because we you know i hunt by myself so much and, and don't don't have a camera guy with me very much that we self film a lot and i've had just a bear of a time the last like two years of getting killed actually on film and this was no this was no different the tree was all you know uneven so the arm wouldn't stay level and it kind of drifted out of range but you can hear the audio and then finally got the gopro on and i actually got him tipping over but didn't get the shot but anyway it was it was kind of it was just a crazy it was just a crazy deal it was, it was a textbook you know, the, the way that you, you kind of plan or the way that you want things to kind of carry out, it actually did it to a T, you know, it was snuck in perfectly, found a place on a map, went to it. Uh, it looked like a good, you know, place where they would stage up or where a buck would bed uh, before, you know, moving off and, and perfect transition cover and good security cover, both in the CRP and Creek. Um, and it, there was one bedded. I mean, he was, he was bedded. He had to have been bedded with a hundred yards and as soon as that doe came in, he, he it was enough to get him up, and he he was all all about it then. So yeah, it was just a uh, it, it it was finally a it was it's always nice, you know, as we all know, as passionate deer hunters, st- enough stuff goes wrong in the woods. It's nice when one finally goes according to plan. Man, is that the truth or what? <laughs> it is, it's far that too. That should be rare. on a t-shirt or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great so. feeling when it does come together. Um, Man, so we have an issue, which is that there's about 27 other things I want to ask you guys about, but I am coming <laughs> up on a hard stop because of a meeting, which is stupid. But um, <laughs> I guess I guess to make sure that um, that we get this last important thing in here, I'm going to say we're going to have to put time out on the questions I have for you, Alex. I'm going to have to pull you in here another time soon so we can hear about your Kansas hunt. Um, 
I just want to make sure to give you guys an opportunity to to tell folks though about where they can get more from you guys. So we have to we have to close this one out. But if people want to see your videos, if people want to follow you on social media, anything like that, um, would either one of you want to jump in here and, and just tell folks where they can find that stuff? You want me to do it? Or you do it, Alex. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Cody. You're the you're the, right, you're the, you're the mad scientist behind it. <laughs> Something like that. No, um, so uh, Dream Chasers Hunt is what you can look us up on Facebook there, uh, Instagram as well. Um, I think our YouTube channel is also called Dream Chasers Hunt. Um, so you can look us up there. Uh, we also have a channel on Carbon TV. Uh, we're a little bit behind. So we do weekly episodes on the YouTube channel. Um, and then through the summer, we actually did a new series this year called Whitetail Weekly, where every single week we just did tech tips or product reviews, um, trail cameras, what deer we were going after, uh, stuff like that. We did a whole bunch of those. Um, right now we're doing the weekly weekly episodes through the season on our YouTube channel. Um, I think we're maybe two or three weeks behind on Carbon TV. It just takes them a little longer. Um, it's hard for them to do the semi-live thing, so it takes them a little longer to get them uploaded. Um, but either or carbon TV or YouTube, look us up dream chasers hunt and you can check out the longhorn hunt. Uh, Alex's Kansas hunts on there. Uh, we haven't got a South Dakota one together yet, but, uh, if you want to check them out, go for it. Awesome. Well, I definitely would recommend folks do that. And, uh, Cody and Alex, I appreciate you guys taking the time to share your stories and some of your thoughts on how you, uh, how you kill these mature deer and, Cody, please just do me a favor and kill Epic soon, and uh, we'll have both of you guys back oh, on. I'm to gonna try. <laughs> I'll I'll let you know as soon as we do. Hopefully, there's a picture going up soon of him. Awesome. Well, good luck and thanks again, guys. Well, that will do it for this week's podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, I got a kick out of their stories, had some great tips to share as well. And uh, I need to get out of here though because I've got to hit the woods. I got a trail camera picture just last night of the buck I'm after in Michigan. It's very exciting news. This is hot off the press. I just just checked that camera a couple hours ago. So exciting stuff there. I'm going to see if uh, we can get one more great late season story for you. But um, I will leave you with two quick plugs. Number one, as I've been telling you guys about the last couple weeks, Wired to Hunt merchandise is back and available. And it's over on TheMeatEater.com. That's where all my new content is. That is where our gear is now being sold. If you go on over to TheMeatEater.com, go to the shop, you're going to see all the Wired to Hunt gear there. Shirts, hats, even decals. Good stuff, so check that out. Speaking of The Meat Eater, got to recommend Steve's new Meat Eater cookbook. It is full of great wild game and fish recipes. Tried a couple different ones out for uh, venison. They've been really good, so check that out over on Amazon or Barnes Noble or wherever it is that you buy your books. And with that, we'll shut it down. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. Man, I know we're pushing into December here, but there's still a lot of hunting out there to be had. Good things can happen, so uh, so stay positive. Stay up in the tree or in the ground blind. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. 
hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.